Good morning, dear friends. It's 9.40 a.m. out here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and the Holy Spirit has awakened me. Praise the Lord God Almighty. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all will be added unto you. This is Senior Pastor with Beth Nazarene. That's the house of the Nazarene. And we are coming to you live for our little tiny minios, many, 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 many studios out of my home, actually, and doing evangelistic work that the Holy Spirit has guided us and has been leading us to do. And I'm so happy to be here with you. I got a great night's sleep, and I pray that you did too. Woke up this morning and had incredible inspiration from the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be sharing that with you as we learn together about the law, and please excuse the little technical noises you may be hearing, because I'm in the studio by myself, and I've got to read and adjust and adjust all the biblical scriptures and everything myself, so just bear with me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly and Holy Father, Sacred Messiah, Holy Spirit, Yahovah, Yahushua, Ruaka, Kudesh, hear me. Shema means hear me. Bless me and anoint me. Soak me in the blood, sacrifice, so that I can be clean and receive your message and deliver your message in righteousness, holiness, and goodness from your throne. I am just a man, Father God Almighty. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet of all prophets. I am just a man. And I have been led by your Holy Spirit through the scriptures, and I have found some historical truths that people need to know. All of America and all of the earth, for that matter, has been lied to for thousands of years about you, your son, and the Holy Spirit. And the ministry that your son came to earth to try to end all hypocrisy, lies, deception, snares, traps, and the sale of false idols, false images, all false religions, superstitions, and traditions. He came to straighten that out. And we, Father God, following in his footsteps, we have taken up our rod and follow him. You have brought us to an inspiration and you have answered a question that I have been struggling with for so long and you gave me the answer this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Father God, for every blessing and the food that you fed me this morning. Thank you for all your blessings, the transportation that you have provided for me, even though I don't own a car. Thank you for the house that I live in, which I don't own, I rent. Thank you, Lord God, for every blessing, no matter how minimal it is to how maximum it is. And everything in between, thank you, Father. I have nothing but love and thanks for you. 
Speak through me, Holy Ghost. Give me Holy Ghost utterance so that this lesson touches the hearts and minds, the spirits, the entire beings of those who will listen to it and share it. And I thank you that I am not mega ministry. I thank you that I am not the kind of ministry that's out there that is deceiving people. And if it is your will that I only have one person in the flock, you would have me lead, Lord God. Have me lead that person perfectly in your word, in your will. Amen. Well, once again, this is Senior Pastor with Beth Nazarene. That means the house of the Nazarene. And we are the followers, the true followers of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. And we are going to go back historically every opportunity we have to be able to teach from what he taught originally, not what has been disrupted, misdirected, redirected, reinterpreted, and changed by mankind and womankind to become nothing but sales pitches, traps, deception, and lies. So I ask you, this ministry does not have a CD, a cassette tape, a VCR tape, or a DVD to sell you. So I ask you, in the original ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ the Nazarene, did he sell DVDs? Did he sell VCR tapes, cassette tapes, or CDs? Now you think about that. I heard not too long ago, and I'm going to name him, John Hagee. Watched him on TV and Trinity Broadcasting Network. I have watched him on Daystar. And he sells product. And he says to his congregation, God's in management and I'm in sales. Jim Baker, who I've watched on many networks, admitted and confessed and at least he told the truth that he is a product-driven ministry. Was that the original ministry of our Lord and Savior? Well, let me say it out loud. I don't think so. What did he do when he came to the temple and saw the money exchangers and the people selling doves, pigeons, sheep? goats, etc. He chased them all away from the house of the Father God Almighty. He said, my Father God's house is a house of prayer. Stop making it a marketplace. I have been to churches here in Vegas where as soon as you step out of the place where they are teaching a terrible interpretation of the word of God, then you step into their market arena where they're selling books, tapes, cassettes, VCR tapes, DVDs, and opening up their own Starbucks and other various coffee places. 
I remember in the early days when we went to church, if you needed a cup of coffee, the church would provide it for you for free. Was that Christ-like? Think about it. We know of at least three times in the Holy Scriptures, and I would have to absolutely stand on the truth that this happened more than three times, where our Lord and Savior, he felt it in his heart that the people had been following him for days. And we have a record of this in our Holy Scripture. More than three times, he fed thousands. Did anybody give him, did he sell the food to them? No. Young lad provided his lunch and our sacred, holy Messiah multiplied it into enough food that they had 12 baskets of leftovers. He gave to the people. Did he charge for healing? No. Did he charge to come and see him in an arena like ministries are doing? Yeah. There are ministries that are charging people to come to see them in arenas. Did he sell them anything? No. What did he do? He gave, he gave, he gave, he gave. He didn't sell them anything. Did people donate to him? Yes, they did. Did he, to get their donation, trick them, deceive them? No, he brought the truth. Did he in any way have a ministry that was product-driven? Absolutely not. Oh, ye hypocrites. When you allow yourself to market yourself in that manner, what do you become? Ministry whores. Yes, I said it out loud. Ministry whores. This ministry will not become a ministry whore. We will not become a product-driven ministry, period. I will not be a hypocrite. We will teach like our Savior, and we will give all we can. Now, Paul, at times, he didn't have money. He didn't have donations, so what did he do? He was a tent maker. His father was a tent maker. He learned that craft. So when he needed money, he worked. What have I done to support this ministry? When there were times when the ministry had no, and since COVID-19, we've had maybe two donations come into this ministry. So what did I do? I went out and worked as a security guard. And then I tithe an offering into this ministry to keep it going. And thank God for the, the couple of people who did donate into this ministry. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. But I am not going to allow this ministry to become a product-driven ministry that sells you what I'm teaching you on DVD, VCRs, CDs, or cassettes, or makes you pay a price to download it from the internet. I'm going to do what our Lord and Savior did. It's going to be made available to you for free at no cost, especially on the internet, where you can download these lessons 
and store them in your computers and or record them, download them, and then record them onto your own CDs, DVDs, or whatever you do. That's absolutely fine with this ministry. We are going to give as much as we can give. And it's just that simple. Think about that. Did our Messiah, our holy Mashiach, Jesus Christ the Nazarene, did he charge to heal? Did he charge to teach? Did he charge to preach? Did he charge for any of it? Did he charge us a price for dying on the cross for you and me? No. The Bible repeats it over and over again. Our salvation is a gift from the Father God Almighty, utilizing, and it comes through the body of our sacred Savior prophesied by Yeshayahu Isaiah in English. Our sacred Savior's sacrifice was a gift to us so that all men and women and children who would take him as Messiah could be restored to the Father God Almighty in absolute salvation. I've said it so many times before. There is no way I could enter into the gates of heaven if it wasn't for the sacrifice of our sacred Savior. Having said all of that, let's study what our Lord and Savior lived and taught. The law of the sacred Father God Almighty. And what did he say about the Father God Almighty? When he was asked, are you good? And I'm paraphrasing. He said, there is only one good. Who was he speaking of? The Father in heaven. He came down from heaven and the Father was in him and he was in the Father and the Father himself prophesying about him in Deuteronomy says very clearly that he will speak the words of the Father, the truth. Did the Father from Genesis forward ever try to sell you a product? Yes, God is our leader, our king of kings. And I'm talking about Yahovah. And at his throne room, at his right hand, is his son. Yahushua Messiah, the Mashiach, Eloheinu in Hebrew, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Do you know him? Are you saved in him? Do you confess him as your savior? You must. It's the only way, like myself, it is the only way that you will be able to walk into the gates of heaven. Yeshua said it very clearly in John 14, 6, and I'm going to repeat this from memory from my translation from the Hebrew to English. He said very clearly to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because he knew that after he would ascend to heaven, witnessed by 400 plus people, 
that 70 years after his leaving of this earth to go back to heaven is set at the right hand of the Father, that the temple would be brought down stone by stone. So what did this do? It took away the ability of people to sacrifice innocent animals for their sin. So now they have no way to cover their sin. Now notice the word cover. It covered their sin, but it did not completely purify them, wash them, cleanse them completely and absolutely, bringing them back to innocence. Only the cross sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, the crucifixion, can do that for you. His God who shed his blood on that cross for us can that wash away your sins so completely, so perfectly, and so fulfillingly that it is never remembered again. We left off on Law 17. The last broadcast, we were teaching Law 16. Just a quick review. That every person shall write a scroll of the Torah for himself, Deuteronomy 31, 19. Also, you can find that in Leviticus 19, 17. Chapter 19, verse 17 realize that what did our Savior teach from? He taught from the law, the Torah, that's the five books of Moses. He taught from the prophecies, the Psalms, Proverbs, Talmud, which is the oral law. And he taught from Midras Kumash. That was the available material to him in his lifetime. So when they say New Testament, actually, that's historically incorrect. Who came up with Old and New Testament, the Catholic Church? They decided to come up with that term. Not Christ, not Messiah, not the apostles. Nowhere in the writings of the Gospels does it say Old or New Testament. So historically getting back to exactly what Messiah taught, he taught mainly from the Torah and it's interwoven in all of the holy scriptural books from Genesis to Revelation. 17. And throughout the generations, every male among you shall be circumcised at the age of eight days as for the homeborn slave and the one brought from an outsider who is not of your offspring. Now, this is a Hebrew translation, but it's a different translation than I'm going to read you right now. This is a truer Hebrew translation. So we're looking at Genesis 17.12 in Hebrew, Bereshit 17.12. And a son of eight days is circumcised by you, every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house, or bought with silver from any foreigner who is not of your seed. In other words, you, me, everyone, 
is to be circumcised. So you say, well, pastor, I'm a lady. And I say to you, then take our Lord and Savior and commit yourself to him and you will become spiritually circumcised. I had a young man argue with me. He goes, I'm from Europe. I was born in Europe. And it's the custom tradition of my family that none of the men are circumcised. I said, do you believe in Jesus Christ the Nazarene? He said, absolutely. Well, Jesus Christ was circumcised. Eight days after he was born, it's in the Holy Scriptures, Joseph and Miriam, or Joseph and Mary, took him to the priest, the rabbi, who was a specialist in circumcision and dedicating the firstborn to God Almighty, he fulfilled the law, not only in his spirit, soul, mind, but also in his body, also in his finances. The donations that came into our Lord and Savior they donated 10% and an offering to the poor. Every time he went to temple, he made offering and his apostles made offering. They were disciples at the time. When he came into the cities, if there was a tax, he paid the tax. Just like you and I are to pay our taxes to our government. I've had too many people try to argue with me because I'm in ministry or because I'm a believer in our Messiah or God Almighty, there are some, some people out there that try to escape the taxes of this country. Did our Messiah at the time of his life pay taxes? He absolutely did. How did he meet Matahey or Matthew in English? Matthew was a tax collector. And as he's coming in to Jerusalem... He was taxed. One time when he came in, the Holy Scriptures revealed to us that he sent Peter to go to the shores and a fish would come up and bring gold in its mouth to bring that gold back to do what? To pay the taxes for him and the apostles. At the time, they were disciples. So, we are to live exactly like him. So pay your taxes. Don't cheat on your taxes. That's stealing. Thou shalt not steal. Pay your taxes. Now, if you can legally, within the laws of the IRS, uh, get write-offs and uh, claim, uh, like, for example, your donation to this ministry, you can claim against your taxes. It's my understanding that you can claim 10% that of your um, income uh, when you donate to uh, ministries, claim it. That's legal. I'm just saying, pay your taxes. I do. When I work as a security guard, they send. They, I'm waiting on a, another a final W-2 form from one of the companies I work for, and I am going to file my taxes just like I did last year, the year before, etc. And I'm going to pay those taxes. Just like our Lord and Savior, I am not a thief. And I am not going to steal from you the truth that Satan 
ministries that are led by Satan are stealing the truth from you and covering it up in superstitions and traditions. And that's exactly what our Messiah came to straighten out with the Sadducees, Pharisees, and the scribes of the temple of the Father God Almighty who were hypocritical and they were teaching the people incorrectly. Law number 18, to put zitzit on the corners of your clothing. What are we talking about? We're talking about the talit, that is the prayer cloth that the Father God Almighty himself said that we are to make so that we would have a private prayer tent, a tabernacle, wherever we may be, to pray to him. And when we put that private tent, that prayer shawl, that tabernacle over our heads, and we privately pray to the Father, it's exactly like we just stepped in to the tabernacle, the temple in the wilderness that God told Moshe to build. Speak to the Israelite people and instruct them to make for themselves fringes on the corners of their garments Throughout the ages, let them attach a cord of blue to the fringe at each corner. This is from the Hebrew, my friends. Did our Savior wear this garment? Yes, every day of his life. This is the garment that the lady that had the issue of bleeding or blood, for years she had this. And she knew that he was a prophet sent by God by all the healing she had heard about. And she knew that if she could just touch the corner of his zitzit, his talit prayer cloth, that she would be touching the name of the Father God Almighty. And on that prayer shawl, the talit, there are also the zitzit. All the way around it, number out the 613 laws. And our Savior wore this every day. That is a historical fact that's been covered up by Christian churches for centuries. Do not be deceived or lied to. 19. To bind Teflon on the head. And that's Deuteronomy 6 8. Bind them as a sign on your head and let them serve as a symbol. A frontlet on your forehead. What are we talking about? I don't know if you've ever seen a traditional believer from Israel. They have their talit, but they also have a small box on their forehead that they sometimes wear when they pray, and they wrap a cord around their forearm seven times, three times on their finger, middle finger. Actually, it ends up counting out four. And this is the box that has in it the Shema prayer. Hear, O Israel, Yahovah, your Elohim is one, and thou shalt love Yahovah, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your might. When they do this, this directly attunes them to the Father God Almighty, and they place that box right be between the, the uh, eyebrows 
on the little bit upper part of their forehead. So that's what the law is talking about. Did our Savior do this? Yes, he did. That's historically proven and true. So now we're on 19, and it's similar to bind the Teflon on the arm. And it's the same verse. So it's talking about what I was telling you about. They wrapped that cord that came down over their left shoulder, around their left forearm seven times, and etc. Now we go to 21. To affix the mezuzah to the doorposts and gates of your house. What is the mezuzah? The mezuzah, from the word of God, inscribed them on the doorposts of your house and your gates is the Shema prayer. It's the very prayer that says, Hear, O Yisrael, yod He vav He or Yahovah, your Elohim is one, and thou shalt love yod He vav He or Yahovah with all your heart, with all your soul, some translations say, but the true translation would say all your heart, all your mind, all your being, and all your might. In other words, with everything you are, you love the Father God Almighty. And we are to love each other in the same manner and same form. Now we're going to do one more law and then we're going to pray and sign off. 22, to pray to Elohim. Now, this is Exodus 23. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. Now, I'm going to turn to Exodus from Bereshit, where I'm at right now. And in Hebrew, that's Shamoth, okay? And I'm going to be looking at Ver, a chapter, I'm sorry, 23, verse 25. So turn your Bibles with me to Exodus 23, verse 25. And this is a covenant law with promise. All right, here we go. And 25 says, and you shall serve Yahovah. Now this is from the Hebrew where his name is in the Holy Scriptures like it should have been historically for all time. And you shall serve Yahovah your Elohim, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and it shall remove sickness from your midst. God returns you by serving him and he promises that he will bless your bread and water and all sickness is removed from you. So now I ask you the question, why is it that the very leaders of Christian churches are dying of disease because they don't live the law, they don't teach the law like they're supposed to, and so sickness and disease is on them and they are called to heaven dying of disease. And I'm going to give you a perfect example. And I respected him highly. I, I, I loved him as a minister and a preacher. John Olstein died of disease. Many ministers who have recently passed 
died of disease. Why? They didn't live or teach the law. To serve Yahovah is to guard his covenant and live his law. Once again, let me remind you, Matthew 5, verses 17, 18, 19, 20, the law has not gone away. What has gone away? The curse of the law, the judgment of the law on those who have taken our Lord and Savior, the Messiah, as their Messiah, they've already been judged and all their sin is forgiven. But the law is our holy, divine, guiding light. It is the light and will of God that we, for God is light. The Holy Word of God says that all of heaven is lit up. There's no moon, no sun, no night, no day. It's lit up 24-7. Why? Because God is light. And in that light is truth. And the truth is the covenant of God says that if we serve him, we guard and protect his commandments, his laws, his statutes, his ordinances. And by doing so, he will bless our bread and our water so that no disease will be among us. I fully expect when God calls me or raptures me that when I pass, I will not have disease. My mother, who served our father, his son, and the Holy Spirit, when she passed, her heart stopped. When they put her through full examination, no tumors, no disease, her heart just stopped. My grandmother, same way, an awesome believer in our Savior. Her heart just stopped. Simple. God will take away. And like Moshe, we can look up to the heavens and say, Father, I am serving you in the blood of our Lord and Savior, which washes me clean. And I come before your holy throne. Pray with me. I come before your holy throne to remind you, my Father, that you promised us in Exodus 23, 25, that if we serve you and guard your commands, that you will bless my bread, my water, and you will remove all sickness from me, my family, my children, etc., and I'm trusting you, Father, and I love you, and I know that you are not a man that you can lie, and you are not a young man that can change your mind. Amen. We're going to leave you with that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come for you. We seek you out. Matthew 7, 7, 8, as you have pointed it out to me, says, Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, not and the door shall be opened. Father, we ask you, take away all sickness and disease from all the people that you bless me to be their leader, their shepherd. Take away all disease from them as I teach them the truth and teach them to live by your sacred and holy law. Now we know, Father God, that the curse of the law has been taken from us because of the blood sacrifice of 
Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, Yeshua, Messiah, the Mashiach, Eloheinu. It's all that curse is taken away because we've already been judged and forgiven, past, present, and future. And all we need to do is consistently repent before you in his blood, and we do that right now. I take the blood of the sacred Messiah to wash me from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, inside out, outside and in, so I can be holy and set apart by you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptized back by the fire of the Holy Spirit, baptized back to innocence. The Father calls us to be wise, to have understanding, to have all our senses attuned to you, all five of our senses attuned to you, inwardly and outwardly, so that we are never deceived by Satan and all he commands in the world. And we thank you, Father, for it. Continue to protect and keep safe everyone who is a part of this ministry and blesses this ministry and open their spirits up to learn the truth for we are not a product-driven ministry and bless those who donate to us. Thank you, Father God, for them all. Amen. You need to contact this ministry, 702-488-4097. God bless you until we meet again. Well, good afternoon. It's 2.59 out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is the senior pastor and prophet with Beth Nazarene. That's the house of the Nazarene. And I hope you will enjoy this broadcast. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Let us not be led into temptation or trial. Deliver us from the wicked one, all that he commands. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Friends, welcome to this broadcast. Once again, if you need to get a hold of us, call 702-488-4097. Now, we are looking at the laws of God because the laws of God have not gone away. We left off from the last broadcast on Law 39, not to leave a beast that has fallen down beneath its burden unaided, Deuteronomy 22.4. These are the love laws, in other words, showing extra law extra service, extra love of the law by helping your brother or sister who has broken down. So for example, in modern day times, your car's broken down. All you got to do is pull up, roll your window down and say, can I help? Do you have a cell phone? Do you need me to call AAA for you or a roadside assistance or a tow truck? Can I help? That's it. All right, now we're moving on to Law 40. Oh, Holy Spirit, speak through us. Give us wisdom, understanding, and divine revelation of your law. Not to afflict an orphan or a widow. Now we're going to turn to Exodus in Hebrew, Shemoth, 
Exodus 22, okay? And we're going to be looking at verses 21 and 22. Do not tread down a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Mitzrayim, which is Egypt. What? Why would I bring up sojourners? Because among sojourners are widows and orphans. So we don't oppress them, all right? Now, of believers, verse 22, do not afflict any widow or fatherless child. And then God in the following verses warns that if you do and they pray to God and ask for him to protect them or vengeance, his wrath is going to burn and you are going to pay a big penalty. So, it's very clear how we are to be guided by these laws. We are not under the curse of the law, praise God Almighty, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, but we are under the guiding light and truth of the law. We are to live these laws just like our Messiah himself did every day and night of his life. 41 not to reap the entire field. So now we go to Leviticus 19, verse 9. And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not completely reap the corners of your field or gather the gleamings of your harvest. Now, this is also Leviticus 23, 22. But we're going to move on to law 42, to leave the unreaped corners of the field or orchard for the poor. So this would include the widows, the orphans, the poor. So God made a way for even the poor to be fed and taken care of. But it meant, even though they knew the law, they had to get their selves out there to the fields, walk behind the reapers, and everything they missed, they picked up and gathered in their bags. And then when it came to the corners of the field, they were able to reap those, share those uh, evenly amongst the poor so that everybody had bread and or, amazingly enough, they used to make soup. We would make a cereal, but they made a soup out of those grains that they gathered. So that brings us to law 43, not to gather the gleamings. So we're still talking about all the ears of plants or grains of plants that would have fallen and you would have found this in Leviticus 19.9 or in the case of fruit trees or grapevine, everything that fell was the pores. 44, to leave the glean, gleanings for the poor, Leviticus 19.9. 45, not to gather Olaf, the imperfect clusters of the vineyard, so that they could have grapes or make grape juice and or wine, even the poor. Law 46, to leave Olaf, the imperfect clusters of the vineyard for the poor, Leviticus 19.10. 47, not to gather the perat, the grapes that have fallen to the ground. 
48, to leave the grapes that have fallen to the ground of the vineyard for the poor. Leviticus 19.10. Not to return to take a forgotten sheaf. So they used to tie the long stems of wheat in a sheaf. They used to tie them. And if they forgot one, it was to be left for the poor. Deuteronomy 24.19. To leave the forgotten sheaves for the poor. Deuteronomy 24.19-20. Not to refrain. This is Law 51. Not to refrain from maintaining a poor man and giving him what he needs. Deuteronomy 15.7. So in other words... This is referring to all the believers who believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are to help them. We are to share in our abundance and prosperity that God has blessed us with. We are to help them. This is important that we know this. Law 52, to give charity according to one's means. Deuteronomy 15, 11. This is very important. A lot of people, they look at the homeless they and they do nothing. Now, I'm not talking about always give them money, but I've seen people, I've done it, I've seen people who volunteer to help the homeless pass out food, blankets, clothing, etc. Donate your clothing to places that, that um, the homeless will receive you know, these garments, blankets, etc. They need our help. How many of you could go through your closets and find things that don't fit you anymore, that you don't wear anymore, that you could give to the homeless? And I'm talking about if you have decent shoes that still are decent, remember your shoes as well because they need them. All right, Law 53. To love the stranger, Deuteronomy 10, 19. This is so important. Now, right from Deuteronomy 10, 19. You too must befriend the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God's very clear about this. Too many people in churches, they form these cliques, and new people are coming into the church, which is good for the church, and they shun these people. I've seen it with my own eyes, and many of, you, many of you out there have seen it too. Befriend the people, welcome the people, make them feel loved and part of the family of what? Believers who believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our sacred God, Yahovah, His Son, Yahushua, Jesus Christ, Nazarene, and His sacred and Holy Spirit. And I guarantee you'll be blessed for it. Law 54, not to wrong the stranger in speech. In other words, don't gossip, don't cuss, and don't say anything negative about them. Don't do that. Not to wrong the stranger in buying or selling. This is Law 55, Exodus 22, 20. You shall not wrong or oppress a stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. This is so important we understand this. Not to intermarry with the Gentiles. Now, what does this mean? Now, in the Torah, it tells us 
you shall not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Deuteronomy 7.3. Why is this so important? When you marry someone that does not believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are really going to have trouble. Paul warns about it in what people call the uh, uh, New Testament, which is actually the Messianic Scriptures. It is very dangerous to have uh, a, a person who believes to marry, say, an atheist or interfaith marriages. This can really create conflicts. It would be smart and the best for you, me, and everyone is to find people who believe very similar to your beliefs. All right, Law 57. To exact the debt of an alien, Deuteronomy 15.3, you may dun the foreigner, but you must remit whatever is due from your kin. What does this mean? This means that give your kin a break and the foreigner, if you've loaned them money, you're not only allowed to collect interest, but you're allowed to press them for that money. Law 58, to lend to an alien at interest. According to tradition, this is mandatory. So this is what I was talking about. But you're not supposed to charge someone that you loan money to that's within your own family interest. You're not supposed to do that. All right, Law 59. To honor father and mother, Exodus 20:12. Honor your father and your mother that you may long endure on the land that your Yahovah God Almighty is assigning you to. You want wealth and prosperity and longevity without disease? Honor your father and mother. God promises you. 60. Not to smite a father or a mother. Exodus 21 15. Can you imagine striking your father or mother? One who strikes one's father or mother shall be put to death. God takes this very seriously. Law 61, not to curse a father or mother, Exodus 21, 17. One who insults one's father or mother shall be put to death. That's how serious God is, is about it. 62, to reverently fear father and mother, Leviticus 19, 13. You shall each revere your mother and your father and keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahovah, am your Elohim, God Almighty. So this is also very important. 63, to be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1.28. Yahovah blessed them, and Yahovah said to them, Be fertile and increase, fill the earth and master it. And rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the living things that creep on earth. 
So right here is not only a commandment, but a commandment of promise, meaning all of the benefits that you get. And notice it says in this translation, fill the earth and master it. We are to master where we're at. Rule it, rule and reign. We're made in the image of the Father God Almighty and his sacred son and the Holy Spirit. We are to rule and reign on earth, but too often people are manipulated, redirected, and literally made slaves. So, Law 64, that it Enoch, or eunuch, shall not marry a daughter of Israel. Deuteronomy 23.2, no man whose testes are crushed or whose member is cut off shall be admitted into the congregation of Yahovah. Now, this is important because God wants men and women to have a consummated marital relationship. All right, 65. that a mamzer shall not marry the daughter of Israel, Deuteronomy 23. No one misbegotten shall be admitted into the congregation of Yahweh. No descendant of such, even in the 10th generation, shall be admitted into the congregation of Yahweh. Now you gotta do some real thorough research about this. Deuteronomy 23. Please turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. And I'm turning in this translation. And I hope that this translation will help you understand this a little bit. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. Now let's start at 1. No one wounded, crushed, or whose member is cut off does Enter the assembly of Yahovah. I think you understand that. I hope you do. No one of illegitimate birth does enter the assembly of Yahovah. Even a tenth generation of his does not enter into the assembly of Yahovah. Now, here's verse three. An Amorite or Moabite does not enter the assembly of Yahovah, even in the 10th generation of them, does not even enter the assembly of Yahovah. So you would argue with me, well, pastor, what about Ruth? Ruth completely and absolutely gave up her belief, and I'm not even going to say the false name. It starts with a C, I'm not going to say the false name of the false god that the Mohobites worship. They used to sacrifice their children to this god, collect the blood, and burn the bodies to this god. It was ridiculous. So God has said, these kind of people, no good. I have nothing to do with them. Are there people like that to this day? Yes. So that was 65. Now we're moving to 66. That an Ammonite or Moabite shall never marry the daughter of an Israelite. 
And that's the same in the fact that you are now Israel by being grafted in by the blood sacrifice of Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. You are not to do that. Not to exclude a descendant of Esau from the community of Israel for three generations. Deuteronomy 23, 8, uh, 9 are the verses. You shall not... Adhor an Edomite. For such is your kin, you shall not adhor an Egyptian, for you were a stranger in the land. Now, let's reread it on here. Not to exclude a descendant of Esau, that would be an Edomite, from the community of Israel for three generations. In other words, they are part of who was Esau? Esau was the brother of Jacob. You need to remember these things. Not to exclude an Egyptian from the community of Israel for three generations. Now, we already went over that. Law 69. That there shall be no harlot in Israel. That is, that there shall be no intercourse with a woman without previous marriage with a deed of marriage and formal declaration of marriage, Deuteronomy 23, 18. No Israelite woman shall be a prostitute, nor shall any Israelite man be a prostitute. Now, this is Deuteronomy 23, 18, and I'm already in Deuteronomy, and I'm already in 23. Let's look at verse 18 in this translation. Here we go. Do not bring the gift of a whore or the pay of a dog to the house of Yahweh, your Elohim, for any vowed offer for both of these are an abomination to Yahweh, your Elohim. So, I hope that makes it clearer to you. So that was 69. Law 70. To take a wife by Kedishun, the, or, yes, Kedishun, the sacrament of marriage. Kedishun. The process of marriage, Kedishun, and Nehemi. All right, so we're looking at Deuteronomy 24.1. Correct? Yes. A man takes a woman into his household as his wife and becomes her husband. She fails to please him because he finds something obnoxious about her. And he writes her a bill of divorcement, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. Obnoxious. Christ said, except for adultery or whoring, no man is to give a, a wife a certificate of divorce. So unless she's going out on him or whoring herself out for money, he's not supposed to leave her. And that means it, whether she's grouchy or whatever, unless she's committed adultery, you're not supposed to leave her. 
that the newly married husband shall for one year be free for one year to rejoice with his wife, Deuteronomy 24. This has to do with the mandatory service in military. When a man has newly taken a woman into his household as his wife, he shall not go out with the army or be assigned to it for any purpose. He shall be exempt one year for the sake of the household, his household, to give happiness to the woman he has taken. In other words, they are to consummate the marriage, hopefully have a child or children, and to be happy for that period of time. So, that was... Law 71, now we're on 72. That a bridegroom shall be exempt for a whole year from taking part in any public labor, such as military service, guarding the wall, similar duties. We've covered that. Law 73, not to withhold food, clothing, or conjugal rights from a wife. See the marital relationship. Now, this is Exodus 21.10. If he takes another into his household as his wife, he must not withhold from this one her food, her clothing, or conjugal rights. Too often in marriages today, men by women or women by men are being starved of food, clothing, and sex. So in the early part of my, one of the first things I did was uh, pr prison ministry and marital ministry. And the one question that always is asked by psychologists, I don't care if it's rabbis, priests, or whatever, or pastors, is, are you having, I always asked it this way to be as nice as I could be, are you having intimate relationships? Do you hug? Do you kiss? Do you have an intimate relationship? And you would be surprised. Marriage is in trouble. They always go through some period of time where they have nothing to do with each other in a in a outward loving physical expression. This is absolutely wrong and it's only going to lead to problems. Law 74 that the woman suspected of adultery shall be dealt with as prescribed in the Torah, Numbers 5.30. Now, I'm going to tell you before we even get there. This is, this is going to be shocking to some people. Or when a fit of jealousy comes over a husband, he is wroth up, with, up over his wife. The woman shall be made to stand before Yahovah, and the priest shall carry out all this ritual with her. What the ritual is, is they're going to try to find out, did she actually commit adultery? And if she has, she could be stoned to death for that. That one who defames his wife's honor by falsely accusing her of unchastity before marriage must live with her all his lifetime, Deuteronomy twenty two nineteen, And they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father, for that householder has def defamed a virgin in Israel. 
Moreover, she shall remain his wife, and he shall never have the right to divorce her. So in other words, don't speak falsely. Men were known to try to come up with false accusations to get rid of a wife. Can't do that. God won't allow it. 76, we still have time. That a man may not divorce his wife concerning whom he has published an evil report. This is very similar. 77, to divorce by a formal written document. A man takes a woman into his household as his wife and becomes her husband. She fails to please him because he finds something obnoxious about her. And he writes her a bill of divorcement, hands it to her, and sends her away from his household. Now, obnoxious, what's this mean? It means that she's committed adultery or something to that effect. Something very serious. 78, that one who's divorced his wife shall not remarry her if after divorce she has been married to another man, Deuteronomy 24.4. Now, of course, Paul taught about this, and where did it come from? It came from the law. Paul wrote about this situation. He said, you know, don't go back to a woman who has had her field plowed. Now, that's a paraphrase, but that was basically what he was saying. Now, from the Torah. Then the first husband who divorced her shall not take her into his household to become his wife again since she has been defiled for that would be an abhorrent to Yahovah. You must not bring sin upon the land that your God, Yahovah, is giving you as a heritage. Now, these sexual sins and sins against marriage they bring a curse on the land where you are, where you live. So we don't want to break these laws. And God forgive us through the blood of Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus Christ, Nazarene, for any of these laws we have broken. Please forgive us, Father. Any listener that has broken these laws, please lift the curse from them as they take the blood of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. 78. That one who divorced his wife shall not remarry her. Okay, we covered that. 79, that a widow whose husband died childless must not be married to anyone but her deceased husband's brother. Now, there are many people in modern day times that don't understand this and think it's weird that it would be important or in law of God, that the brother make an offer of marriage to a widowed woman that was once his brother's wife. It's not sick and it's not weird. Now, let's look at it from the ancient times perspective. This is a woman who is childless. That's number one. Number two where is she going to go? What's she going to do? There wasn't welfare in those days. Her parents are dead. Who's she going to live with? Her husband's gone. And they would the, the brother would marry her so that she would have the respect of the community and a livelihood. And hopefully have children because it was important that they had children. One, the law says be fruitful and multiply. And two, 
They needed their children as co-workers in their farms, what we would call in modern day times ranches, but they needed the help. And it, it was their family. They worked family farms, family ranches, etc. When brothers dwell together and one of them dies and leaves no offspring, the wife of the deceased wife of the deceased, wife of the deceased, a type of widow whose late husband had a share in his lineage, all right, and whose access to support from that patrimony is now important for her to have a life. So this is found in the story of Ruth. Uh, shall not become that of another um, party outside the family. Her husband's brother shall unite with her. He shall take her as his wife and perform the leveret duty. Now this leveret law protected women from being poor, outcasts, having no home, no shelter, no food, no clothing, etc. All right, so we're doing pretty good here. Um, that, let's see, I think 78, okay, divorce, what a documented process. All right, now, 79, that a widow whose husband died, we got that one, let's go to 80, law 80. To marry the widow of a brother who has died childless. This is only in effect insofar as it requires the procedure of release below. So Deuteronomy 25.5 says, When brothers dwell together and one of them dies and leaves no offspring. Now that was also important in the early times that the name of the family went on. And the name was carried on by the men. So, here's a wife that her husband dies. She's had no children by him. And she has to produce a child that will carry on his name. All right? That's another reason why they did this. All right, so that's Deuteronomy 25.5. Law 81, this is the last one I'm going to do today that the widow formally released the brother-in-law if he refuses to marry her, Deuteronomy 25.79. But if the party does not want to take his brother's widow to wife, his brother's widow shall appear before the elders in the gate and declare, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name in Israel for his brother. He will not perform the duty of the leveret, all right? So he's sinning against her and her ability to carry on her husband's name. Now, she declares this, then they, the elders would release her to marry. But her next child, in most cases, would be given the name of the husband who died so that that name would live on. That's where we're going to start. And when we come back again, we're going to start at Law 82, which is the section that covers forbidden sexual relations. And I'm sure that controversial set of laws will get your attention. This is Senior Pastor Mike, Michael with the 
Nazarene ministry out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you need to get a hold of us, call us at 702-488-4097. We love you. We are praying for you. Keep safe. And remember, read Matthew 5, verse 17 through 20, and you will find that the law has never gone away. And that is declared by Jesus Christ himself. We love you now. Keep praying for us. Remember to share this broadcast, subscribe to it, like it, and please, if the Holy Spirit does move you, call us and we will tell you how to donate to our ministry. Thank you so much. God bless you. Amen. Good morning. It's still morning, actually. It's 1124 out here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and this is Senior Pastor with the Nazarene ministry, Beth Nazarene, meaning the house of the Nazarene. We are the followers of the Nazarene, and we are the keepers of the law. Why? Because our Savior was a keeper of the law. He guarded the law. He lived the law. He proclaimed and declared the law in Matthew 5, 17, verses 17 through 20. Read it for yourself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please be in the studio with me today. Guide me in all that I do, all that I say. Speak through me. I'm just a man, Father, and I need all your divine wisdom, understanding, revelation, and supernatural divine knowledge. I need your ability to speak clearly and to Get this message of the love and passion and compassion and your will and your desire for us that you gave us through the law. There are so many who do not understand that still, Father. But there are many that are beginning to come to your absolute truth. Your servant Moshe said, there is no freedom without the law. And I have come to the realization that he was absolutely correct. Father, we live in a world of lies, scams, cons, ripoffs, deceptions, trickery, snares, and traps. And Father, I would ask you, to bless and anoint this ministry to always be the truth, speak the truth, live the truth. And this ministry is made up of men and women. Father, we need your son's holy blood forgiveness and we need your help constantly. Guide us through your Holy Spirit. Speak through us, Holy Spirit, and let your presence always be with us and be our guiding voice of conscience. You tell us, Father, through your holy prayer, we are to be a light to the nations because you gave us the commandments. You gave us the priesthood. You gave us the anointing and blessing, and all you asked in return was that we would be obedient. 
Father, help us in this consistent world of evil that is constantly trying to trick us, deceive us, lead us into evil and darkness. Help us, Father, shine your bright light on us and keep us in your light and on the true path following your Messiah. For he said in John very clearly, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Bless us, Father. We pray all of this in your Son's sacred name, the name of Yahushua, Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Amen. Well, friends, we left off on Law 81 from our last broadcast. Now, I meant it when I prayed. We need to really understand these laws compassionately with love, empathy, and sympathy so that we understand how to get along with each other. And these sections that I have just read, the section before this, which is in, all about marriage, divorce, and family. Laws 59 through 81. This is so important that we understand all this so that we have a better idea of how to deal with what life will bring. And when I say life, I'm talking about what the world tries to bring against us as believers. And it, you know, the police, one time I working in security and talking with many police officers. The one thing I came to realization of, and this is back in Ohio, I was talking with a good friend of mine that was a police officer. And he said, the one thing that is consistent about the police force is, if I don't catch those who are breaking the law, and I retire, there will be someone who replaces me. And why is that necessary? Because people don't know, understand, or live by the law. I've said it before, and I say it again. If you and I and all people would just live by the law, there would be no need for police. There would be no need for courts, there would be no need for jails and prisons, because none of us would be acting against our brothers and our sisters. We would all be absolutely considerate, and that's tough sometimes, I know. But I have no right to make your life miserable. You have no right to make my life miserable. And that's what these laws are all about. How do we get along in such a way that we can absolutely live together in peace? Real peace. Spiritually, soulfully, mentally, physically, financially, live in 
temper explosions. It's unnecessary. We have got to get to that place where we live with each other in a peaceful, civilized manner. Having said that, let's look at Law 82. And we're only going to cover five laws and try to explain them. Now, one of the problems we have, and I mentioned it before, and it is right here in front of my face. When you type in the 613 laws on the internet, what comes up is some very bad translations and or interpretations of the law. Now, this section of the law is called Forbidden Sexual Relationships by most sites that are on the internet. Did our Father God categorize the law in such a manner? Nope, he did not do that. But let's look at this poor translation of Law 82. Not to indulge in familiarities with relatives such as kissing, embracing, winking, skipping, which may lead to incest. Now, I understand the concept of trying to keep your thoughts under control, as our Messiah said, because he said very clearly, if a man looks at another man's wife with adultery or lust in his mind, even though he hasn't physically said anything or done anything, he has committed adultery with her mind. So what's that teaching us? That we must control even our thoughts. We must cleanse our hearts so that what comes into our minds is not full of evil, lust, and wickedness. But let's read the true translation of Law 82. Now, you need to turn to Leviticus 18.6. Now, you understand why I say it's so important that we don't listen to some of these interpretations of the law because in many ways, they're, they're just ridiculous. All right, so now, Law 82, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 6. No one is to approach anyone of his own flesh to uncover his or her nakedness. I am Yahovah, your Elohim. Now, of course, in, and I don't want to break a law and add anything to this, but in this translation from the Hebrew to English, it says very clearly, his flesh. Now, we have to understand that in this first law where sexual relationships are concerned, his flesh, meaning when a man is married to a woman, his flesh and her flesh are one. So when God says his flesh, he means 
to man and woman who are one in marriage or even engaged because the law covers hupa engagement. So, understanding all of that, you can see where the interpretation of this is a bit off course. My family, and I miss them dearly, were a family, I grew up with a family, and I'm glad I did, that loved each other. And we shook hands, we hugged each other, and I kissed my mother on her cheek, she kissed me on my cheek, and my father and I hugged each other, and it's just that simple. So for this law to say, not to indulge in familiarities with relatives such as kissing, embracing, winking, and skipping, come on, this, this is a... And terrible, a terrible interpretation. It really has nothing to do with Leviticus 18.6. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were known to kiss their sons. Now, in some of these movies that I've seen, and this is ridiculous as well, Normally, back in the day, uh, of that day, they would kiss these children on the top of their head or forehead. They didn't kiss them in the lips. Now, in some of these modern-day movies, you got Isaac giving the blessing to Jacob, which was supposed to be the blessing of Esau's, and he kisses him on the lips. That's ridiculous. There's no historical evidence of that whatsoever. So, modern man has just taken things too far, way too far. All right, let's go to Law 83, and it's in Leviticus 18.7. Not to commit incest with one's mother. All right, now, so when we look at verse 7 in the same chapter, chapter 18, verse 7 says, The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you do not uncover. She is your mother. You do not uncover her nakedness. In other words, you do not look at her naked body. So we go all the way back to Genesis, and this would... Uh, remind us of the time when the two brothers, knowing that their father had fallen asleep naked, backed into the tent backwards so that they would not see his nakedness with a cover between them or a blanket between them and backed in so they would not see his nakedness and covered him. We must keep the law. We must respect our elders. Honor your father and your mother so your days will be long on the earth. And that refers to this, this uh, law, law 83. Now let's go to 84. Not to commit sodomy with one's father. Leviticus 18.7. 
Leviticus 18.7 The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you do not uncover. She is your mother. You do not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you do not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. Now, once again, this tells us that the father and the mother who are married are one. So looking at the nakedness of either is not correct. So now we go to 85. Not to commit incest with one's father's wife. So this is very clear. Eighty-six, not to commit incest with one's sister. And this is in Leviticus 9, 18, 9, verse 9. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you do not uncover. Now, amazingly enough, pastors have been asked, my father married my mother and had children with another woman and has stepchildren. Now, so you're in modern day times, people are saying to themselves, can I have a relationship, intimate relationship with these stepchildren because we are not blood? The law says that once your father marries a woman who has children from another marriage or the father has children from another marriage. That family becomes one. The mother and the father become spiritually one and physically one. And it's the same with the children. So they are just like your blood brothers and sisters. So there. I hope that makes it clear. So, now we move to 87. Not to commit incest with one's father's wife's daughter. Now, of course, this is in Leviticus 18.11. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter brought forth by your father she is your sister. You do not uncover her nakedness. So this covers what I'm talking about. Children from other marriages. Now let's say you, you, your mother marries a man whose first wife passed away. And he's a widow. But he had children with that woman. Once he marries your mother, let me repeat myself again. The family becomes one. And they are your brothers and sisters. 
just as if your own mother had bore them into the earth. So, this is the law of our Father God Almighty. So, in 87, law 87, not to commit incest with one's father's wife's daughter. 88, not to commit incest with one's son's daughter. Now, we look at verse 10 to explain that. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you do not uncover for theirs is your own nakedness. Your brothers and sisters now, just like your blood runs in their veins and their blood runs in yours. And that's as simple as it is. So, Thank you for listening, and we'll get back to you. Be blessed, be protected, be safe until we meet again. Thank you. Well, good evening, good morning, and good afternoon, wherever you may be on this earth. Amazingly enough, and the reason why I say that is because... We got a call from somebody in Spain, which I was so happy and surprised to get a call from somebody who is checking out uh, what we're teaching in Spain. That was amazing. Just one call, but that was very encouraging. Let's pray. Dear Emily Father, thank you for giving us the ability to reach your entire earth. You know, there's an old saying, God's green earth, Lord God, blessed Yahovah, we know your name. Help us to make your earth green, alive and well with your holy scriptures. And I mean that. And within those sacred and holy scriptures are your blessed will that you gave us through Moses to us, and we call them, Moses called them, the law, statutes, and ordinances. And they're given to us with your love. Help us to see the love, the compassion you have for us in the law teaching us how to know you and how to know each other and be at peace with each other through life on this earth, your earth, God. Thank you, Father, for your every blessing. Thank you that you're with me today in the studio and thank you for the blessings you have sent and all the people from your holy planet. Amen. Friends, the only way this planet can be holy is that we continue to study the word of our Father God Almighty in truth and the purity of it. We left off on Law 88, not to commit incest with one's son's daughter, Leviticus 18.10. We are to treat our stepsisters and stepbrothers as family, like the same blood. 
when God brings two people together in marriage and they have children from previous marriages and they come together and God has blessed them to come together. Now, that family is one. They are of the same blood. So now we're looking at law 89. Now, according to this translation, and we're going to read it from the Holy Word of God, not to commit incest with one's daughter's daughter. We are to treat this daughter of one's daughter as blood, and it refers to the, the previous commandment, And this is very important that we understand this. And amazingly enough, there are people out there who do not understand this. So we would read about this in Leviticus 18.10. Turn your Bibles to chapter 18, Leviticus, verse 10. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter their nakedness you do not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. What's that mean? Theirs is your own blood. They are like you, you are like them, you are one blood. Whether they came in, and in modern day times, um, people call the father who marries their mother stepfather. I didn't do that. I was adopted by a man who married my mother and I knew him as father and to this day I consider him my father he was the one who loved me took me to the hospital when I needed to go clothed me, housed me, fed me and when he had children with my mother that family relationship was one absolutely one and it's just that simple. And thank God for him. He brought peace and stability to our family. God bless Robert James Whitlock as well as God be blessed for sending him into our lives. Number 90, not to commit incest with one's daughter. This is Torah law. It's very important we understand it. Very important. Number 91, not to commit incest with one's father's sister. Leviticus 18, 12. So let's look at verse 12. The nakedness of your father's sister you do not uncover. She is your father's flesh. Now, so, so many people argue, well, this is my stepfather, and his sister is my relative by marriage, but not by blood. Nope, that's not the way the father looks at it. The father from Moses forward made it very clear. This is the way we have a relationship within families. 91. 
not to commit incest with one's father's sister, Leviticus 18.12. We've covered that. 92, not to commit incest with one's mother's sister, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 13. The nakedness of your mother's sister you do not uncover, for she is your mother's flesh. 92, not to commit incest with one's mother's sister. Okay, we covered it. 93, not to commit incest with one's father's brother's wife. 1814. The nakedness of your father's brother you do not uncover. You do not approach his wife. She is your aunt. These laws are not to be broken. They're considered horrible sin, abominable sin, the worst sin. 95, not to commit incest with one's son's wife. 1815, the nakedness of your daughter-in-law, you do not uncover. She is your son's wife. You do not uncover her nakedness. So in-law, step, etc., you do not do that. And there are, sadly enough, people that are breaking these laws. It's, let's move on. All right, now, so in reading these verses and understanding them, Leviticus Chapter 18 covers this and spells it out in detail so that we have no excuse. We need to understand these. So law 95, not to commit incest with one's son's wife, not to uh, 696, not to commit incest with one brother's wife. 97, not to commit incest with one's wife's daughter. And notice it consistently says incest. So the breaking of any of these laws is considered abominable incest by God Almighty. Not to commit incest with the daughter of one's wife. This is 98, and this would be Leviticus 18.17. 99, not to commit incest with the daughter of one's wife's daughter, Leviticus 18, 17. And 100, not to commit incest with one's wife's sister, Leviticus 18, 18. Let's read that. And do not take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. 101. 
not to have intercourse with a woman in her menstrual period. Leviticus 18, 19. God makes this very clear. This is a time of her body cleaning itself. We are not to have inappropriate, intimate relationship with her during that time. And do not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness in her monthly separation of uncleanliness. Why would God have us do this? Because she's cleaning her body out, and this is a time when disease can occur. All right. <clears throat> Not to have intercourse with another man's wife, Leviticus 18.20. Of course, we call this adultery. And do not have intercourse with the wife of your neighbor to defile yourself with her. Leviticus 18.20. Law 103. Not to commit sodomy with a male. Leviticus 18.22. Now this is from the word of God and I stand on this word and this is what is true. You know, and... When I developed some respect for Joel Olstein, and I loved his father, John Olstein. His father was an incredible, incredible preacher, teacher, minister of our Father God Almighty. Incredible. But when I really respected Joel, he gets trapped in an interview on TV, and he's asked about this, and he quotes the Bible. God blessing. God bless Joel. There are a lot of people who have come against Joel's ministry. And there were people who came against John Olstein's ministry, Lakewood Church. But let's remind ourselves Joel is a man like me or any other man. And he's doing, by the guidance of the word of God, the best he can. If he makes a mistake, God will deal with that and we are to forgive him. In the meantime, I don't watch him as much as... most people would because I'm busy doing research in the Word of God, studying. I occasionally get the opportunity to catch him on TV. And I'm happy when I do so because everything I see this man trying to do for his block is positive and it's from the Word of God. I don't see him going outside of the laws of God. And when he sat in that interview and made it clear, this is against the Levitical laws. Right then, my ears perked up and said, oh my gosh, Joel understands the word of God. Praise God. So, 
Law 102, not to have intercourse with another man's wife. Law 103, not to commit sodomy with a man, and you know what that means. Law 104, not to have intercourse with a beast. 1823. And do not have intercourse with any beast to defile yourself with it. And a woman does not stand before a beast to mate with it. It is a perversion. Now that's right from the Hebrew to English translation. It makes it very clear. And you say to yourself, oh my God in heaven, is this happening in modern day times? Yes, it is. It's horrible and it's happening. 105, that a woman shall not have intercourse with a beast, Leviticus 23, we read that. 106, not to castrate the male of any species, neither a man nor a domestic or wild beast nor a fowl. You are turning them into something they were never meant to be. God said, be fruitful and multiply. And not only does those words apply to men and women of the earth, it applies to his animals. So this mass neutering of animals is wrong. And I'm going to say it again. The mass neutering of animals is wrong. Is it that hard? People in this country, they love their dogs and cats. Is it that hard to keep your menstruating female animal away from males? Every pet store out there sells cages. And for that short period of time in that animal's life, you segregate them. You keep them separate from the males. Is it that hard? People in America have become so convenience-oriented that they will cause the health of their dogs and cats to be suffered by such things. I didn't believe in it when I was younger and I don't believe in it now and I didn't do it to my animals. Praise God. So all of this is up to you because God gives you free will choice. But at least if you know what God would have for all of us, the truth. At least if you have the knowledge of what God would have for all of us, the truth. Then you know If you are making the decision for God or you are not, think deeply about that. Now, of course, in Leviticus, 
it's very clear in Leviticus 22, 24, the law that I'm talking about, where animals are concerned. And I'm going to turn to that very quickly. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 24. Do not bring to Yahovah what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor do it in your land. And they're talking about, if you read previously, the previous verses and verses after that about animals. So, this is very important that we understand this so that we have a better concept. And I think if you sit down with your veterinarians and ask them honestly, does neutering affect the health of my animal, my dog, my cat? I think you'll find if you're dealing with an honest veterinarian who would tell you the true truth, you'll find that what the Bible is telling you is true. Now, God warns us against these laws of defilement. Do not defile yourselves with all of these, for by all of these the nations are defiled, which I am driving out before you. Thus the land became defiled, therefore I punished it for its crookednesses, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you, you shall guard my laws and my right rulings, and not do any of these abominations. Now there's that word, the worst of the worst sins. The native nor stranger nor sojourners sojourns among you. Because the men of the land who were before you have done all these abominations and thus the land became defiled. So I ask you, is the United States of America and its land defiled. My conclusion from the understanding of the words of the Father God himself is that this land needs to repent greatly. And no one is talking about this that I know of. Hopefully there is more out there than just me, who are brave enough to talk about it. We want to lift this curse on our land so that our crops are multiplied in harvest, so that the prosperity of this country comes back, so disease and infirmity are lifted from this land and its people, so that we are not vomited out of this land by God himself. We need to get back to the basic moral practices of the holy word of God. Now, when we read on in his holy word, so let not the land vomit you out for defiling it as it has vomited out the nations that were before you. 
For whoever does any of these abominations, those beings who do them shall be cut off from among their people. And you shall guard my charge so as not to do any of these abominable practices, which are done before you, so as not to defile yourselves by them. I am Yahovah your Elohim. I am Yahovah, his name, Elohim, God Almighty, God who we serve. God, Elohim, many theologians theorize, means the pluridity of his name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we will have lessons about that in the future. Right now, we need to focus on. So before you start calling me and asking me, is it wrong for women to lay with women? Just as God has pointed it out in Leviticus 18, men are not to have sodomy with men. And women are not to have intimate sexual relationships with women, period. And this ministry is determined to become and be and live and speak the law of God. Take the blood of our Savior to forgive you of your sins. Pray with me now so that you can be reborn in a new life. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in the blood and name of Yahushua Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. And we have all fallen short of your holiness, your righteousness, your sacred glory, your esteem. We take the blood of your sacred son's sacrifice on the cross so that all our sin could be washed and completely purified in the fire of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, purifying us and bringing us back to innocence. Help us, Father God, to always confess your son and confess our sins. And help us, Father God Almighty, so that we can have healing of this land spiritually, soulfully, mentally, physically, and financially. That our land would be healed so it produces multiplied abundance of crops to feed our people and every other nation we can afford to feed with the extra you bless us with. Help us, Father God Almighty, to walk in the path of your Son, the sacred Messiah, and follow him as we should. For he was a lawgiver and keeper. This is proof perfect in Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. We thank you, Father, that you have enlightened this ministry to see this truth. We thank you, Father God, for your son, and we pray to him now. Yahushua Messiah, we have prayed in your name to the Father. Yahushua Messiah, we pray to you now. Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, hear us. 
Wash us in your sacred blood from the crowns of our head to the soles of our feet. Inside out, outside and in. Baptize us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the fire purification of the baptism of the fire of the Holy Spirit. Purify us like the most perfect gold and silver. We repent before you now. We take you as our Lord and Savior. You have sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper and our voice of consciousness. Cleanse us thoroughly. Cause us to be reborn as you were trying to teach Nicodemus from the Sadducees and Pharisees of the temple. We must be reborn so that we can enter into the gates of heaven. Help us to continue to be able to have holy communion as you have commanded us to do so that you are in us and we are in you. But we know that by confessing you as our Savior, you are in us spiritually and have cleansed our souls and to brought us and to bring us into a new life, a new being in life. We thank you, Holy Savior, for your great sacrifice for us. We claim it. We claim the fact that you suffered under Pontius Pilate. You were ordered to be crucified. You were beaten, tortured for us. And we claim your entire sacrifice for our crookednesses and the healings of us spiritually, soulfully, mentally, physically, and financially. Isaiah 53, we claim it. We claim it, sacred Savior, and we follow you. Teach us. Be our shepherd. Guide us. Lead us to your living water. Lead us to the food of your sacred word to feed our spirits, our souls, our minds, our bodies, our families, our bloodlines, all of our flock. Help us to live the life we are to live from your sacred scriptures. We pray this in your name. For the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, if you made that prayer with me, you are reborn in our sacred Christ, our holy Messiah in Hebrew, Yahushua Messiah, El Manuel. In English, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. We love you and we are here for you. If you need to contact this ministry for prayer, repentance, salvation, counsel, advice, or led by the Father God Almighty to donate into this ministry so it can continue to bring the truth of the entire Word of God, not picking and choosing, not leaving out any part of the Holy Scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation and all of the supportive information of these sacred scriptures, call us at 
1-800-273-4097. We are here for you. Serving the Father, His Son, and Holy Spirit as perfectly as we possibly can. And thank God for the Holy Spirit that guides us to know what to teach, what to preach, what to praise and sing about, and how to help you. You would be wise to give into this ministry. There are many ministries out there teaching the truth. We are one of them. You would be wise to donate your seed into this fertile ground. Praise the Father God Almighty who anoints us and makes it fertile. Amen. Till we meet again, happy trails to you. You know the number, 702-488-4097. Give us a call. We're here for you. This is Senior Pastor with Beth Nazarene. That's the House of the Nazarene signing off for now. Amen. Well, good morning, dear friends. It's 1143 out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is Senior Pastor with the House of the Nazarene Ministry coming to you live and we are having an awesome day out here. It is extremely windy, but it's nice and warm, and I'm going to love it when I take my constitutional. So you may ask yourself, well, what is the constitutional? It's my walk. I take a walk and pray, and the Lord walks with me, and we walk together in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today. Let me adjust my chair just a little bit and get a little closer here. Now... Today, we are going to talk about how Paul, one of the great emissaries and or in the Greek apostles of our Lord and Savior, how he actually taught from the law. And we've been teaching about the law and we're going to take a short break led by the Holy Spirit to work from the book of Ephesians and show you how much of the law is in Ephesians. And we're going to be looking from the Blue Letter Bible translation as well as we're going to be reading from the Hebrew. And these two Bible translations are similar and yet at the same time a little bit different. So, when we look at the interlinear translation from Strong's concordance of what Paul actually wrote in the Greek and Hebrew, we begin to see the real translation and how closely it's related to what Paul would have learned as an Orthodox Jew. And remember, Paul describes himself of the Jew of all Jews, so you need to really keep that in mind. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you, and I know you hear me, but I also ask for all of those who will listen to this program. I ask you, Father God, that your Holy Spirit indwell in us. 
and come into this studio and guide us and speak through us. Give us Holy Ghost utterance so that we understand your word like no one else ever has before. Yes, you say in Matthew 7, 7, 8, ask and you shall receive. We're here to receive, Father. Receive your wisdom, understanding, revelation, and divine supernatural knowledge about these holy scriptures that relate to your law. In fact, most of this comes from your law. And we love you, Father. We pray this in the name of Emmanuel, prophesied by Yeshayahu, Isaiah. We pray in the name of Yahushua, Messiah, which in these verses, it talks about his name, Yahushua. We pray this, Lord God Almighty, blessed God, anoint us, anoint us to know your holy word. Amen. Well, dear friends, if you need prayer, please call us at 702-488-4097. 702-488-4097. Now, once again, let's recap real quickly. I did a program where I talked about the fact that we do not sell product. We are not a product-driven ministry. And you got to ask yourself, are there some ministries out there that are good ministries, that are product-driven ministries? I would suppose there has to be. My deeper inner voice and my deeper inner feeling about product-driven ministries is, first, they're not doing the ministry of our sacred Savior Jesus Christ the Nazarene in Hebrew, Messiah Yeshua, they're not doing his ministry. Did he sell product? No. Did he charge to teach people? No, he did not. Did he walk around with scrolls or tablets and sell them to people? No. Did he sell medals? No. Did he charged to heal people? No. Did he charge to feed people? No. A small lunch more than once was donated to him and he multiplied it to feed thousands. And we know this to be done three times in the Holy Scriptures, but I believe that it can be historically proven that he did it more than that. Why? The book of John. You have to study the book of John, what John wrote, and then you'll understand that if all of the details of every signs, wonders, and miracles that God on earth in the body of Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, and Nazarene was written down, it would take libraries of books to hold all that information. I've said it before, the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, we know for a fact now that there have been more than a hundred books deleted out of the books of the Bible that our Messiah during his lifetime would have had access to. There are writings of prophets that are not in this book that would have been in the original study of the Holy Scriptures. There are writings of Saul. There are writings of the great uh, early 
writers and prophets and uh, for example Solomon a lot of the information that Solomon would have had with these original scriptures is not here so we know uh, theologians know for a fact that there have been a minimum of 45 books taken away from the Holy Scriptures. So this is a synopsis, is my point. This 66 books is a synopsized version of the original Holy Scriptures. For example, and I've read all the books of Enoch. The writings of Enoch would have been included, and importantly, included in the Holy Scriptures because that makes it clear what Revelations is all about. Besides the books of Daniel and Ezekiel, Zechariah, Matthew, all of what's going on in Revelations is further explained or better explained in the book of Enoch. And then there's the book of Asher. So when we realize all of these books. I mean, if you want to really get the detail of Genesis, then you got to read the book of Yasser in uh, the Hebrew. Um, some people would pronounce it with a J, Jasser, or, and we need to study all of these great scriptures out there. Now, in Ephesians verse 1 from the blue letter, it says, Shual, an apostle, a Messiah Yeshua. Now, this is an interesting translation because they're combining Greek words with Hebrew words. And this is where I'm here to try to unconfuse you. Now, the first thing you're going to say to me, of course, he was writing this to Greek people, so he wrote this in Greek. But was it originally written in Hebrew? That has yet to be proven. It is yet to be proven. But to have a translation that's part Hebrew and part Greek. Now, this is very interesting, extremely interesting. My conclusion about this, my expository about this, is that Saul, who was a very Jewish Jew, extremely Orthodox, before he was brought into the redemption of Messiah. Of course, you know the story, knocked off his horse, etc. Now he comes into the, the, and he, first of all, we know, and I've said it many times, what language when he was knocked off his horse was the voice of our Messiah speaking to him in Hebrew. Now we know that Saul or Paul in English would have in just everyday conversation referred to Messiah as Yahushua because that was his Hebrew name. And the name Jesus Christ did not exist during the time of Paul. Who came up with the name Jesus? We'll have a whole program about that in the future. But it was developed by the Catholic Church and many, many years after the death of Paul and the death of Messiah, did this name come into existence. Now, am I jumping on the name or am I attacking the name? No, I'm not. I grew up calling our Messiah Jesus Christ. 
So I'm not attacking that name. I'm not one of those guys that's saying all of you out there who call him Jesus Christ, you got it all wrong and attack you and argue with you. No, 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 no. That's not my point. My point is to educate you in history to end biblical illiteracy. My point is to help you understand that during the time of our Messiah, the name Jesus Christ did not exist. During the time of Paul, the name Jesus Christ didn't exist. So now looking at this blue letter translation, which is from the Greek, and amazingly enough, the transliteration of the Greek says Messiah Yeshua. So it says Shaul, an apostle of Messiah, Yeshua, through the will of God. Now notice that they use the word God because the Greeks didn't understand the translation of Elohim to the holy ones who are at Ephesus and the faithful in Messiah, Yeshua. So isn't that interesting? Let me get a quick drink of my coffee. Oh, I made some good coffee this morning. Oh, I love good, hot, black coffee. Now, so from the Hebrew, it says, Shul. An emissary. Now, emissary, the Greek word for emissary or representative of Christ himself is the Greek word apostle. So, but emissary, when you look up the meaning of emissary, it means more than apostle. We'll go into that in another lesson. Shaul, an emissary of Yahushua Messiah. Now, notice they say Yahushua first, not Messiah, Yeshua. And this is a truer translation. By the desire of Elohim. Elohim, the pluridity of El. El means God. Just E-L is God. Ohim. Now, there are theologians that theorize this represents the pluridity of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are some who would say that this means Most High or God Almighty, because El means God, okay? All right, now, so notice the word desire, all right? They leave this out in this, these other translations. And this is the truer translation. To the set apart ones who are in Ephesus and true to Messiah Yeshua. All right, now, let's, I hope you can bear with me as we do a comparative study. Now, that's the opening or introduction. Now we're looking at verse two, all right? Favor to you. Now, in the other translation, the blue letter translation, it says grace to you. Favor to you and shalom or peace from Elohim. That means God Almighty, our Father, and the Master, Yahushua Messiah. Now, in the blue letter, it reads like this. Grace to you and shalom from God, our Father, and the Lord 
Yahushua, the Messiah. That word, Lord, in the Hebrew Adonai, it should not be there. Lord should always refer to God. And in the Hebrew translation, Hebrew, it's very clear. Favor to you and peace from Elohim, our Father, and the Master Yeshua. Notice the word master. What does it mean? Master teacher, rabbi teacher. Master means rabbi, rabbi, rabbi means master teacher. All right? So they put in Lord. They take out the proper, proper word here. Okay? Favor to you and peace from Elohim our Father and the Master Yahushua Messiah. Now, verse 3. Now, from the Hebrew, blessed be the Elohim and father of our master, Yeshua Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Messiah. Now, why is the word master so important? Because later in these verses, Paul in Ephesians is going to start speaking about he's a slave to who? The master Messiah. So you can see how this translation is not quite correct. And in this translation, it's going to use the word slave. Now, this from the last verse to the first verse, Alif and Tav, or Alpha and Omega, the word of God from the first verse to the last verse, or whether we read it from the last verse up to the first verse, should all interrelate. This is why we got we have to learn this in the translations of the Word of God. Now, the third verse in the blue letter says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. Now, in the blue letter, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and without blemish before him in love. Now, notice the re referred to holy and without blemish. What's this mean? That means like the sacrificial lambs that had to be perfect and without blemish. Whether whatever was sacrificed had to be perfect and without blemish. All right. Now, let's read on from the Hebrew to English. Blessed be the Elohim and father of our master, Yahushua Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Messiah, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be set apart and blameless before him in love. Now, blameless is so important that we understand this, and it is the truer translation because the Messiah's sacrifice is so complete, so perfect, and so pure that when we take his blood washing of ourselves, we become blameless because the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit can see no sin in us. It has been so completely done away with that it cannot be seen and or remembered, period. Now, this is important we understand this because it 
these translations where they change the words from the original Hebrew, it creates problems of understanding. All right, and I'm not talking about interpretation. I'm just saying to you, when you read from the Hebrew to English and you understand the, the, uh, the exact words, you don't need someone, me or anyone else to interpret it. Because God himself will make it clear to you because his word is him having a conversation with you through the emissaries and or apostles of our Messiah. God set these people up to speak his word. Remember the, the prophecy in Deuteronomy by God himself that he would raise up a prophet from among who? the Israelite tribes who would speak his word. Now, this is what emissary, one part of what emissary means, that this person would live his word, represent his word, declare, proclaim, and speak his word, and he would have all anointing, all authority, of God on earth would be in him. God walking in a man's body. This is the translation of El Manuel in the Hebrew, Emmanuel in the English. God walking among us. So this is the divinity, the divine supernatural nature of our Messiah, the person that many of us grew up calling Jesus Christ the Nazarene, he was God Almighty on earth, absolute divine on earth. He did not sin, he did not break the law, he did not break the will of God, the desire of God, the hope, the wishes. He lived exactly as God who became a man to show us that in a man's body, tempted by everything the world to throw at him, that it could be conquered, that we can have absolute victory over all evil. And this is critical that we understand this. And I want to thank God Almighty right now for healing of eyes. You know, I'm 70 years old. And the last time I took my driver's license test, of course, out here in Nevada, I don't know if they're doing it in other states, but every two years now, when you are above a certain age, they, cause, they uh, insist that you have, it's a law, a eye examination so that you keep your license or get corrective glasses or whatever so that you can drive. Now, I passed my test, and I had a little bit of trouble passing that test. And I prayed to the Father God Almighty in the blood, in the name of Yahushua Messiah, the Mashiach Eleinu, I prayed that my eyes would be brought back to better than they've been ever before, like they were when I was younger. I never had to wear glasses, praise God. I always had incredible vision. 
close and far away, and everything in between, and the Father has restored it to me. And I want to thank him for that. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is leading me to pray for those out there who are having trouble with vision. I pray in the blood and name of Yahushua Messiah, the Mashiach Eloheinu, Elohim, God on earth, who can heal any, any problem of the human body. I pray in his blood and in his name that all of you out there that are having any kind of vision problems, that you are healed and healed right now. And you will see and experience that you'll be able to read again, see again, close up and far away without any hindrance or problem whatsoever. In the mighty name of Emmanuel, I pray, prophesied by Yes, I hate you, Isaiah in English. I pray for you right now that all aspects of your eye, your eyes are healed. Every aspect connecting all the way back into the brain. Every aspect of your vision is absolutely healed so that you can just put the glasses down and not worry about it. Amen. Now I'm going to confess to you, in previous broadcasts, I've had to use a magnifier to read from this Hebrew translation, which has smaller print, and I've had to use this magnifier or magnifying glass to be able to see it, read it, etc. Today, hallelujah, no magnifying glass. And I'm reading it. Oh, thank you, God Almighty. I celebrate your healing. By his stripes, we are healed. His suffering, his torturous suffering, was perfect for us. Thank you for the healing. All right, now, back to verse five. Having predestined us, now this is the blue letter translation, having predestined us for adoption as sons through Yeshua, the Messiah, to himself according to the good pleasure of his desire. Now, this adoption is so important. Paul says in another way, we are grafted into the wild olive leaf branch of the tribe of Jacob. Olive leaf branch represents peace and shalom. So we are peacefully welcomed and loved into the tribes of Israel. This makes us all Israel. And this whole book is about unifying Paul, through Messiah and his inspiration, is trying to unify the Greeks, the Latins, all people who were not born of pure blood, Hebrew bloodline, are brought into the tribes. That's what this is about. Now, let's read from the Hebrew. Having previously ordained us to... Adoption. Now, ordained is a word they left out, 
and it's more important and a better translation than predestined, ordained, God ordained it. Having previously ordained us to adoption as sons through Yeshua Messiah to himself, according to the good pleasure of his desire. Now six, to the praise of the esteem of his favor with which he favored us in the beloved. Now this is so important, this translation, so that we understand it. Now let's go on. All right. To the praise, this is verse six from the blue letter. I just got done reading from the Hebrew. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he freely bestowed favor on us in the beloved. Now, what does this refer to? The apple of his eye, the firstborn to God, Israel. We are being brought in lovingly beyond adoption, beyond predestination, we are being brought in ordained by God, by God himself, Yahovah, through Yeshua Messiah into Israel to unify me, you, and everyone into Israel. Now, I've made the point, or in the opening, how does this relate to the 613 laws of God Almighty that were given from God to Moses and also the oral laws, but the 613 written down. When you start studying the brotherly love that we are to have for each other and the love in the law that we are to have for God, and the covenant promises of God or contractual promises to us in a modern word, okay? This brings us to the understanding that God wants us to love him as he loves us. And when there that is that consistent, intimate, corporal exchange between us, the Father, he is in us, we are in him, we become one. We are brought into the Israelite tribes and are the apple of his eye. We become the firstborn. This is critical and it's in the law. And in the future, we're gonna start revealing the mysteries, the secrets, the passages within the law that are so prophetic, as well as the love. When Messiah was asked about the law, now he would have considered when the Sadducees, Pharisees asked him this, not only the 613 laws, he would have known all the oral laws of Moses taught, which is now in the Talmud. When he considered all of that, he said two things. The Shema Hero Yisrael, 
love God with everything you are. I'm shortening or synopsizing. And then secondly, he said, love your brother as you would have your brother love you. We are to love each other as God loves us and as we should love God. We're going to learn to extend that same unconditional love to everyone. And it can be hard, I know. It can be hard. It can be tough because a lot of times within this world, there are a lot of very angry, upset uh, people, and they need prayers and counseling so that they can come to this place of shalom, peace, meditative peace, where they see that we all should be loving each other, not fighting and bickering, wars, cruel treatment of each other, but loving, caring, understanding, patient treatment of each other. We need Mankind needs to evolve and come up into an understanding of true love and pure love. And that pure love, true love, doesn't judge and it doesn't segregate, it doesn't prejudice. It is unconditional love no matter what. When we get there, now we'll begin to understand the mysteries of the law, the mysteries of the oral law, and the mysteries of the love that is taught in Ephesians. Well, friends, we ran out of time for this broadcast. It's 12.15 out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I hope you have questions. Call 702-488-4097. We would love to share with you. Our lessons are for free. This ministry survives itself on donation. I donate into this ministry. When I work as a security guard, I donate into this ministry because it's fertile ground. The bottom line is we do not sell products. So you can download this lesson. You can copy it, share it with people. Whatever you want to do, it's yours for free. We don't sell product. This ministry survives on donation. You want the information on how to donate to us, please call us at 702-488-4097. We would like to welcome you into this family of believers, this anointed ground, and this blessing of healing. Bless all of you. Amen.